Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. to share with you this evening or this morning, wherever it is we, we, we may be, comes from a scripture that we've been spending quite a bit of time on. I'm going to start there again today. It's Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, keep it handy. I'm going to use quite a bit of scripture today, and we're going to camp as we go through on various passages. Um, or if you have your, yeah, your device, whatever it may be, it'd be good to follow along in, in the scriptures that we share today. But the title of my message today is Arise, Shine. So I want you to just, wherever you may be, and if you're, if you're alone, I understand you can't do this, then look at the screen. But if there's somebody next to you, look at them and uh, shine. Shine. Arise and shine. We always have a lot of fun with that in our fellowship. I just thought I'd throw it into the online thing as well and see what came back from it. But Isaiah chapter 60 is a word from the Lord. It is a call. And the beautiful thing about this is if you think of it this way, in the old covenant, God sent his prophets to the people of God to call them back to himself, to prepare, to prepare them for what it is that he wanted to do, often to call them to repentance. But in, in our dispensation, God sends his prophetic word. And again, he is calling us to himself. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3 says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And that really is, there's so much of what I want to share today that is encapsulated by that sentence, that the glory of God will be seen upon you and upon me. That is God's desire for you. And as a result, Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Today, I want to talk about the glory of God and, and what that may look like for you and me, how we engage with it and what that may mean for us. To arise, we know, as we've spoken, I'm sure, before, concerning the scripture means to really awaken to spiritual realities. Slumber often prophetically in scripture refers to prayerlessness. And so awakening means a return to prayer, but not just the act of prayer to spiritual realities. It's a call from God back to his heart into the things of the Lord. And this beautiful scripture for you and I in the New Testament and the new covenant is that the glory of the Lord has or is risen upon you. It's not something that's going to happen. It's something that has happened. But there's a realization of that truth that we need to get and we need to walk in in order for it to find manifestation and and have an impact, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. So how is it that we arise and we awaken? I want to make it really simple. And everything that I share with you today, you'll notice is going to be really simple. The way we arise and we shine is by giving ourselves to the Lord, applying ourselves. It's it's and to, not just to prayer. That is the primary area. But by giving ourselves to the word of God, by giving ourselves to 
time in God's presence, to worship, to prayer. Because as we do so, something within us begins to happen. Primarily, as we spend time in prayer and in the word, revelation begins to flow. Understanding begins to be imparted. Grace begins to be imparted for us to see things from a different perspective, change our our, you know, our perspective and the way we think and the things that we do, and we begin to see different results. You see, the understanding we need to have is that when we truly give ourselves to prayer, we begin to change. I think so often we think of prayer and and and, and so often our time with God is consumed with external things that we feel need to change. We pray because we want to see changes in our circumstances, or we pray for loved ones because we want to see a change there. That's not a bad thing per se, but I have learned in my journey with the Lord that things on the outside seldom change until I have been changed first. And this is a beautiful thing. When I change, when we change as a result of prayer, when the word of God begins to transform us, he transforms us into the likeness of Christ which is the glory. It's his glory that begins to shine in us and through us. It's not our own glory, not our own giftedness or our own abilities. It's not what we're able to accomplish. But there's a glory that begins to be evident over our lives for which God gets the glory. It's so clearly evident that it's him. And it's, it's a wonderful place to be. However, there is a, a, a key scriptural principle that is an absolute if we're going to arise and shine in the light and the power of Christ. Now, I've learned that I need to be very careful, especially in ministering the word of God. I need to be very careful of absolutes. Very often, ministers and pastors like me, we make absolute statements. You have to do this and then that will happen. And this is the way things work. And so I'm always very cautious when I make absolute statements. But this one, however, is an absolute. And that means we can take it to the bank. It applies across the board. And the absolute that enables us to live lives that shine the glory of Jesus is found in the life of Christ himself. John 17, 5 puts it this way. Now, let me, let me give you the, the thinking behind what I'm about to read to you. John 17 is the moment when Jesus is praying, he prays first for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for those who will believe in him that are to come through the message of the disciples. And towards the beginning of the prayer, when Jesus is praying for himself, this is what he says. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus prays a prayer that God would glorify him. And from that moment, the answer to that prayer begins to uh, not unravel, begins to uh, it, it, the answer to that prayer is set in motion. And the dominoes begin to fall. Here's the kick. When the time came for Jesus glorification. Where is it that he went? What happened straight after Jesus prayed this prayer? He went to the garden. He was betrayed. He went on trial and he was crucified. You see, here is 
the absolute principle if we are going to arise and shine in the glory of God. John, Jesus said it this way in John 12, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And this is the principle we see in Jesus' life. He prays a prayer, say, God, glorify me and glorify yourself through me. But Jesus understood how the kingdom of God works. He understood the absolute truth that in order for that to happen, he had to die. And in order for this scripture to come to fruition in our hearts and lives, there is a death that needs to take place within our lives as well. You see, the way we arise is not by trying to exalt ourselves. It's not by uh, trying to draw attention to ourselves. The way we arise is by dying to ourselves. It's not us that needs to be exalted. It's Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to think there was a quote that's just come to mind that, that really blessed me that I heard many years ago. It said, the world does not need, uh, Jesus did not come to make a better you. He came to make you like him because this world doesn't need a better you. What this world needs is him. And in his letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul, in Colossians 1.27, he writes, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then we see that word glory again. Glory is something that you look at and you go, wow. Glory is something that is is." It's almost otherworldly because it's not common. It's not normal. It's not just mundane every day. There is something divine about it. There is something that leaves us in amazement. And when we look at the life of Jesus, this is exactly what we're left with, a sense of amazement. That's what the song Amazing Grace is all about, a sense of awe and wonder at the greatness of the love of God. That he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that that son was so willing to lay down his life. There's glory in that. And this is, this Jesus himself learned and discovered what it was like to arise and to shine and to give glory to God. Very interesting. Now, I just realized John 17 verse 4. The verse that came just before that verse that Jesus said, Father, glorify me. Jesus states. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Folks, the work that God has given you to do is exactly, and I to do, is exactly the same as the work that he has given his son Jesus to do. To glorify him. To make his name known. To demonstrate his love to the world around us. What a beautiful calling. You see, the call from God is that we would awaken to this glorious mystery. And by this mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glorification. Now, the hope is uh, we, we do not hope, the Bible says, for that which we already have, but we hope for that which which is 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 imminent. It's an eager expectation that it's going to be there. But Christ and the manifestation of Christ within your life and my life is this living hope. And God lives in anticipation to see his son 
and the life of his son come to manifestation and fruition through you and through me. And it's an eagerness. And I think you and I, what I'd really love for us to catch through this message is this eagerness that God has to demonstrate his glory through you and me, to glorify his son and his name through you and me, through our acts and our, our words and, and the what things that we do each and every single day. God wants us to awaken, to arise to this wonderful mystery that is inside of us, Christ, his glory, and that by that realization, shake off all that is associated with the flesh. Now, what do I mean? I, I mean sin, of course, but more than that, inability met by grace, lack met by provision, uncertainty met by wisdom and clarity of thought, defeat overcome with victory, darkness expelled by light. These are the wonderful things that, that are within you and I through Jesus Christ and by his word. The Apostle Paul is another wonderful example to us of what this kind of life looks like. Obviously, we see Jesus, but there's also the Apostle Paul. And these are some of the things, excuse me, that the Apostle Paul said. Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul here is saying there is, I've abandoned all other things. I won't boast in what I am able to do because there is nothing that I can do that has any eternal significance apart from that which I do by the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the same thing. He said to you and me, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> and Jesus himself said, the son can do nothing of himself, only that which he sees the father do. And so there's this wonderful um, call that God gives us into a world of, of thinking and speaking and behaving that is beyond us, that we are unable to manufacture or to do in our own strength, no matter how good or gifted we are. And this is Paul speaking, who was a remarkably gifted man. And he says, I do not boast in my flesh. The only thing I boast in is that Jesus Christ died for me. Paul is saying that as a result of what's happened inside me, I am no longer swayed by that which happens around me. I've died to this world and this world to me. In a, in a little earlier in his book to the Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's how he identified himself. That old man has been crucified with Christ. And therefore, it's no longer I who lives. What a statement. But Christ lives in me that hope of glory is alive in you and in me today and that means that here as paul says the life which i now live in the flesh in this world i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me folks i think sometimes when we spend as much time as as many of us do Attending meetings like this, hearing the word of God preached to us. Maybe we are listening to worship songs with really great lyrics and theological lyrics. And, and maybe we're listening to podcasts and other people's teachings during the week. We have, we're living in a time where there is so much word about. We are literally spoiled for choice. But I, 
come to realize both in my own life as well as as in ministry that spiritual things even spiritual um, knowledge without outworking or application becomes deceptive in other words the lordship of jesus was not just a thought that paul ascribed to and he didn't just mention it in his letters he was clearly evident in paul's life the work of jesus the lordship of jesus and Jesus' very own brother, James, write this, writes this in James 1, 22 to 24, reading from the English Standard Version. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, it's not how much you and I know about Jesus. It's not how many scriptures we can quote. It's about what is truly active in our lives, how active that intimate relationship is, and what is the fruit of it. Verse 23 says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And you can really take that scripture in two ways. You can either say that he, he forgot what he was like before he met Jesus. Uh, but I think the, the more accurate translation is that, that when we look at, at, at the word of God, we see not just who we were in the light of God's glory, we get to see who we have been made. We get to see ourselves as in, made in the image of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, more than conquerors, overcomers, those who are in the light and in the spirit. We get to see what the, the, the we get to see the beautiful picture that God paints for you and my life. But if we do not work at that and put that into practice, we are like people who look in the mirror and go away and forget what we even look like. Because our, it means that, that those beautiful pictures, that beautiful expectation has not found real traction in our lives. And by not being applied, it bears no fruit. And so our lives remain the same. And we learn more and we learn more. And we think that by having learned something, somehow that is automatically being active in our lives or activated in our hearts. But the truth is that that's a deception. The Bible says that you judge a tree by its fruit. And the truth that I'm wanting to, to, to sort of really call us into and encourage us into today is that if we are not living out of the overflow of what God is saying about us, we will end up resorting to living a life according to the customs and the cultures around us because those are what we know those are what we're a part of those are what bombard us every single day so if we are not being deliberate and active about living from a different place we will find that we will naturally gravitate towards old defaults but the truth is that there is something that is alive within your heart and within my heart that is itching to manifest itself it's Christ in you, the hope of glory that God is saying to you, it's time to let that arise, to let it shine, because that glory has arisen over you and over me. Here's how Paul says it in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, from verses 12 to 15. He says to this beautiful group of believers, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not... Uh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So who is the one that is doing the work? It is the Lord. But in order for him to do what he wants to do in your and my hearts, we need to embrace the cross. Our will needs to bend and bow to his. And that needs to be a deliberate thing day by day, morning by morning, allowing his mercy to awaken our souls to that which is that which which he has for us in that day. Work out your salvation. You see, your salvation, what God has saved you from, what God has brought you into. I cannot work out my wife's salvation. I cannot work out my children's salvation. I can only work out that which God has done and is doing in my life. Yet, very often, we remain oblivious to what it is that God is doing and working in our lives. And this is the beautiful call that God is saying to us. He's saying, arise, awaken. I believe it's a gentle stirring and God is calling. And he's saying, I want you to arise into what I'm sharing with you and what I'm doing in you at this time. Even last week, Pastor Frank was encouraging us. Don't give up on the call that God has given you. Don't give up. Even though things may be looking bleak on the outside, even though you're meeting with resistance, maybe you're wondering when things are going to really turn around. Keep on being encouraged. Because then the very next verse, we come to the application. How is it? How do we work out our salvation? How do we cause these truths that are within us to come out in a practical way? I don't know about you. I'm a practical guy. If the word of God and, and, and the truth of God's word cannot be brought down to practical outworking, then it remains theories and ideas out there. I, I love being practical with the word of God. So verse 14 says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless, harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Wow, what a glorious thing. So what is one of the ways that we begin shining? One of the ways that we begin shining is by not joining in the pity parties and the complaining parties of accusations of all those who are around you. No matter where you are in the world, people are complaining about governments. In the United States, I know it's probably never been as divided and divisive as it is right now between the right and the left. Here in South Africa, we've got our governmental issues. UK, you guys over there, you just, you're going to have to have a new prime minister for four months after you've got your previous one. It's just, when we look around us, there's so much to complain about. And we feel sorry for ourselves and we complain that we have to do this and we have to get on with it. And because of them, we are suffering and there's all these things going on around. But isn't it interesting that this verse simply says that if we do all things without complaining, without disputing and arguing with other people, we will become blameless. In other words, nobody will have anything to say against us and harmless. And shine like lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. You see, there's the glory. It's beginning to shine already just with that one simple, practical example. It's God's glory beginning to shine through us. This is a theme that we see again and again from Paul. I'm going to give you some more scriptures now, and I encourage you to turn there because I want to read uh, a few portions of scripture. So if you're there, turn to, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. 
And we're going to start from reading from by reading from verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul, excuse me, Paul here uses very strong language. He begins this by saying, I beseech you, brethren. Now, I remember I once did a, a, a search on this, and I think there are three times, there may be more, but I, I remember three times specifically where Paul uses this word to say, I am begging you. And every time what it was, what it what it what it boils down to is Paul is saying, I am begging you to, let, to come into this realization of God for you through the laying down of your own of your own life. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Moving down a little later into the same chapter, I want to read to you from Romans chapter 12, from verse 9 to 21. We're going to read the whole portion. This to me is, is Paul's breakdown of Christian ethics. You know, what is ethics? Anybody who's any studied psychology or philosophy will know that, that ethics has to do with moral principles that govern our behavior and our thoughts. And it's almost an articulation. Um, if you like, it's Paul's version of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in a sense. But what it is, is it's outlining for you and I what Christian life should look like. And I'm going to read to you from the New King I don't think this is the New King I think this is the New Living Translation. It says, verse 9 in chapter 12 of Romans, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Folks, we're living in a time where even within the church, there's a lot of pretense. Hi, brother. Hi, sister. God bless. How are you? Fine. Okay. Blessings. But there's zero sincerity behind all of these things. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be like that. If you don't pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Now, wherever you may be, say the word affection. Affection is what takes the, the, the emotion of love, the feeling of love, the decision of love, the desire to love, and makes it practical. Affection can be manifest in many different ways. I know that when we talk about marriage, and, and, and I've recently taken a couple through premarital counseling, they talk about the five love languages. Some people like words of affirmation. Some people like tasks or, 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 or service. Some people like gifts. Some people like time. And I can't remember what the other one is. But there are various ways of sharing and giving genuine affection. But affection is not something that is kept to oneself. It is something that ex is, is expressed. John 3.16 is an expression of affection. God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus so loved you and I that he came to live on this earth. And he said that the greatest form of love is for, for, for one who lays down his life for his brothers. 
affection. And Paul here says, be kindly affectionate. Love each other with genuine affection. That means I'm going to reach, I've got to do something. I'm going to speak words of encouragement and affirmation over you. I may give you a hug. I may buy you a gift. I may, whatever it may be, but it is expressed. And then he says, take delight in honoring each other. 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And, and here's this idea of this continuous journey, this continuous building up. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. So meet others' needs where they are and where you are able. Bring them into your provision. That's hospitality. You see, is this a list of to-dos? No, this is, this is Paul trying to encourage us and, and share a myriad of ways in which you and I can demonstrate the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of the love of God in your life and in my life. Simple, practical ways. 14. Bless those who persecute you. This is so, the antithesis of what the world does. God calls us to bless them. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. That scripture became very dear to me on a day when in the morning I'd spent two or three hours with a couple who had just lost their child. Um, it, was, it was a newborn. A newborn that lived just a few hours, and there was such pain and such grief. And then that very same evening, I went to a engagement party and had to rejoice and be happy with those. I remember, I remember that was such a wake-up call to what ministry is really all about. It's not being insincere in any one of the settings, but it is being fully present in, in each of those settings. To mourn with those who mourn. And to celebrate and, and be joyous with those who are in a joyous time in their lives. Verse 16, Paul says, live in harmony with each other. Harmony to me as a musician is an interesting word because harmony is not just us all playing the same thing. Harmony means we've got different instruments, different gifts that may be playing in, they, they, there's a rhythm that we're all agreeing to. We're playing the same song. But we're playing potentially different melodies and we're playing different notes, but we're in praying them together. We make harmony. It's not just about tolerating everybody else that is around us. It is about finding a way to harmonize with them. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. But do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And here we have this, this principle of, of the glory of God shining through you and I coming through again. That everyone can see you are honorable. Honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. We understand that this isn't always possible. But at least from your side and my side, we have done all we can to live in peace. Your friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. 
I once heard somebody say, revenge is fine, saith the Lord. Uh, revenge is mine, saith the Lord. God says, don't take revenge. In other words, release people to him. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You see, folks, for me, this is this is fiercely practical stuff. And I'm sure that no matter who we are or where we are in our lives in this present moment, I'm quite sure that as I read that portion of scripture, I know that not everything probably resonated with you where you are right now. I'm pretty sure something resonated with your heart. There's a situation going on in your life. And, and what I've just read most likely spoke directly into that and is able to align your heart with what God's thoughts are concerning that particular matter. This is fiercely practical stuff. My question is what you're going to do about it. What are we going to do about it? While the stuff is easy, easy to understand in a practical sense, it's also really costly stuff. Because to live this kind of life is costly to the flesh. We live in an era where we celebrate our rights and we demand them. We live in an era when we, where we celebrate what we have accomplished and we try to make others look bad so that we can look good. That's just the way of the world around us. And it's for, these, all these things we've just read, the ethos of what Jesus communicated to us through his life and what Paul is communicating to us through these scriptures is that our lives begin to take on a, a measure of the glory of Christ when they are focused on serving others and meeting their needs. This is how God is glorified. This is how you and I begin to shine. When we begin to see things and people from God's perspective and begin to honor them, regardless of what they may be doing or saying, but we honor them because of who God has made them to be. Let me read to you some more words from Paul from the book of Philippians. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture in the whole Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, let nothing be done so that you're trying to advance your own interests. But rather, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What he's not saying here is, is you must think that you are less than other people. But he's saying esteem others more excellently than you esteem yourself. In other words, if you consider yourself worthy of your time, energy, effort, and resources, consider other people even more worthy of your time, your energy, your effort, and your resources. That's what that verse is saying. It's a beautiful verse. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. How do we do this, folks? Here we get practical again. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, which we also saw in Paul, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself. Jesus was not made of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself further and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. 
So we see Jesus humbling himself to be a man. We see him humbling himself to the will of man. And then we see him, see him humbling himself even to death, to the point of death. But then we have verse 9 that comes in and says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here we have it, to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that amazing? Jesus being willing to lay down his own life enabled the grace and the power of God to work through him in order for God to bring glory to himself. And as God brings glory to himself through you, God will glorify you along with Jesus. The way that we receive the glorification in our natural bodies, not for our glory, is the glory of Jesus. As Christ in us is glorified, so God glorifies us. And what does that mean? That means the influence that he can wield through us grows and increases. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 60, your light has come. Gentiles shall come to the brightness of your rising. When God is glorified through us, we become attractive. We become magnetic to the world around us. Darkness is expelled. And people are attracted to the light like a moth to a flame. We see here again that glory comes through humility. The way we arise is by going down. I know Stephen often likes to say we are part of an upside down kingdom. In order to go up, we have to go down. Jesus said that the greatest one among you is the servant of all. He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. Folks, there simply is no spiritual growth in our lives without self-denial and deliberate service. It doesn't happen. We do not grow spiritually by what we hear. We grow spiritually by what we apply, by what we put to work. That is how we judge the measure of our spiritual maturity, the willingness and the ability to serve and to make ourselves low. I'm going through a teaching series at the moment. It's one of my favorites. It's by Jack Frost called From Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship. I've been through it many times. I recently recommended somebody, um, somebody go through it. And every time I do that, I go through it again so that it's fresh in my heart and mind so that I can address questions. But there's one point in, in it that, that Jack Frost, he makes such a wonderful example. I think it's so funny. He says that um, he came into a new church environment and he went up to the pastor and he says, I'm here to serve you. He'd already in ministry for many years. He's a seasoned minister. And he says, uh, I, I'm here to help you and serve you in any way you like. Because God was talking to him about these things. And so the minister says, you know what, Jack, that's really great. We could really use your help. He says, great, what can I do? He says, if you go into the auditorium, there's a notice board. And on the notice board is a, a roster for who is going to help us clean the toilets in the church. And I'd really like you to put your name to that roster. And I said, Jack says, you know, I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. Thank you. And he got in his car and he left. And he says, you know, this proud pride rose up within him. And he's like, doesn't he know who I am? I have my own ministry. I, I've done all of these things. I've and then God got hold of him and he said, well, didn't you want to say that you would, would serve, that you were willing to be humble? And he was convicted. 
And so he turned the car around, went back to the church, wrote his name on that list. And for the next six months, once a week, whenever it was, he went there and he cleaned the toilets. Despite who he was, or what his name was, he cleaned toilets. And his confession is that he used to, God changed his heart so much that he was praying that whoever sat on those toilets would have a, a marvelous movement. But the other thing he said was this. He said that the more time I spent around those toilets, the more I discovered what I was full of. <laughs> Folks, the more you and I give ourselves to serving others, the more we will discover what we are truly full of. The more we will discover areas of our nature and of our character that remain uncrucified. The more we will discover. And this is the beautiful journey that God wants to bring us into. It's a journey of perpetual repentance. Repentance is simply changing the way I think about myself, my situation, and bringing it into line with the way God sees things. You know, when we live according to the truth of God's word with absolute assurance and fullness of faith, miraculous things begin to happen. And God is able to glorify himself in us and through us. My last scripture for the day, the apostle Peter this is what he says in 1 Peter verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 to 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And he says simply this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Folks, God cares for you and I. It, it seems almost contradictory to the natural mind that if you care for me, Lord, why do you want to bring death into my life? Because that old part of you has to die so that you can come into life. Your flesh will never die with a smile on its face. Self-sacrifice is hard. Enduring, self, enduring defamation is hard. Laying down and setting aside your agenda your time, your resources to minister to other people's needs is costly, but it brings forth life that glorifies God and causes you to shine with his glory. You become a walking testimony of the love of Jesus Christ. And that's why Gentiles come to the brightness of the rising of the manifestation of Jesus Christ in you, that that hope for glory finds expression. This is how, folks, you and I arise and shine. What is it that you can put to, into practice today and tomorrow and every day this week that serves the needs of others, even if it be at your own expense? What is it? Something simple. I'm not asking you to sell your home and give everything to the poor. But is there one thing on your heart today that you can resolve in this moment to say, that is what I am going to do. I'm going to do this for that person. Or I have decided every day this week, this is one behavior that I'm going to change. Or this is one thing that I'm going to apply. You see, if we leave church week after week with one thing that we set into motion and begin to apply in our lives, there will have been 52 real areas of change in our lives every year. How can you lift somebody else up in their faith this week? I really believe. That as you and I begin to pray along these lines, God will begin to lead us and guide us. Sometimes when we talk about these prophetic words, I know they sound sometimes 
out there. Arise and shine and the glory. They sound ethereal. They almost sound as though they're out there. That's why my message today is a very simple and a straightforward and a practical one. These are simple, beautiful things. Jesus lives in you and me, and he longs to manifest his love and his sincere care for those around us through you and through me. If he could only get us out of the way. <laughs> and that's the struggle. That's the struggle. It's being willing to say, Lord Jesus, here I am. I love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. I avail myself to you. I present my body to you today as a living sacrifice. Use me to shine your glory and your love and your life to those around me. The call from God is that it's time for us to awaken to that living hope within us. To begin living from the overflow of what God is speaking to your heart and my heart today. And so I want to say to you, beloved, arise and shine. Give yourself to the word. Give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to be led by the spirit of God that you may shine as lights in this world and draw many out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of God's love. And so, Father, I pray today, Lord, as we've heard these words, that the simplicity of the reality, that the very kingdom of God abides within us, would strike our hearts and minds afresh. I pray, Lord God, that, that we would be very humble of heart as we hear this message and not just uh, listen to it as something interesting, Father God, but in humility, say in all sincerity, Lord God, lead me and guide me that I may be a light wherever it is that you've placed me. Father, I pray even in this moment that as we hear in your presence and as we've heard your word, that you would breathe and move over our hearts, that you would show us ways, Lord God, practical ways that we can apply those things that you've been speaking to our hearts over the past while. Lord, maybe there's trials and struggles in our lives or those around us because we simply haven't done what you called and asked us to do. God, I want to thank you that your grace is available in this very moment. I thank you for your Holy Spirit breathing upon our hearts in this time. And I thank you, Father God, that as we resolve to walk with you, as we resolve to yield to the unction of your spirit, that you really lead us into the undiscovered country of the love and the grace and the power of God. Father, I, our prayer tonight and our prayer this morning, wherever we may be, is, Father, glorify your name through your servants. Glorify your name through your sons and your daughters, that your love may touch those around us, that we may be instruments for good in your hands. Random acts of kindness going somewhere to happen. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of co-laboring with you in bringing your kingdom to bear in this world. Thank you for your grace, unlock, unleashing and unlocking those works in our hearts and lives today. So we bless you. We bless you for the arising of your people. We bless you for your glory that is within us and that is shining over us in this time and season. And we thank you that that glory is getting brighter and brighter until the day of Jesus Christ. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.